1: I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us.
0: <laughs> it's probably like getting Drake 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time whether, you know, there's two types of turds you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily
1: the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm joined this week by Hill Varsity's managing editor, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, hello, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are
1: you? I'm good. And I also have Aaron.
2: Stor- else? <laughs> Sorry. He's,
1: he, Brandon's been replaced with a robot this week.
2: <laughs> okay, just checking.
1: Aaron Sorenson also joins Hill Varsity's deputy editor. Aaron, hello. How are you?
2: I'm good. On the other hand, my computer has been better. It is uh, taking flight at the moment, which always happens whenever I'm in a meeting or recording a podcast. So it's just inevitable. So p- the, apologies if you hear a hum. It's just it's a happened. Mac. It's a Mac, isn't it? It is. Although um, I, was, I was sitting behind somebody who had a PC at a press conference the other day. And it was, I was like, I think my computer is loud. And this thing sounded like, it sounded like a flyover was going over the stadium at the moment. I was like, that thing is picking up on everyone's cameras.
1: <laughs> it's pretty dumb that Mac has changed this entire thing to where if you want to have fans that don't sound like, airplane rotors that you have to pay like two grand for them um so a couple couple things just administratively before we jump in listen to aaron's podcast with sasha dirk and the mind Your Own podcast that comes out every week sort of a grab bag kind of podcast style go listen to that subscribe to it leave him a five-star review brandon vogel has his own podcast as well the i preview podcast that one is going to have a preview of this week's opponent now, I just have to say, I'm I'm happy for you guys um, this week. You know, you get to uh, – it's kind of a low-leverage weekend for you. You get to get into the stadium, no drama, um, sort of an inauspicious opponent, and kind of get home and, and have an early weekend. I'm happy for you guys. Um, but if you, if you are listening to this and you're like, yeah, I guess I will listen to a preview of whoever is coming to Lincoln this weekend, go check out the ID preview podcast. Also – if you are not already subscribed to Hail Varsity, go to hillvarsitycom backslash subscribe. Use the promo code varsity. Make sure that you get access to all of the premium content that's on the website, the magazine every single month. It's that time of year where you want to make sure that you're getting access to Hail Varsity. And with what we're going to talk about today, um, you're going to make sure that you want to read every single thing that comes from the team at Hail Varsity because they've been they've all been awesome so far. So Obviously, um, the thing that just completely reframes this entire season for Nebraska Scott Frost was fired after Nebraska's loss to Georgia Southern over this past weekend. Um, I think there, I, I think there were a lot of people that this news caught them by surprise because they weren't expecting a move in season. I think there was also a camp of people who thought. You know what? It makes sense. We just watched Nebraska get dog walked up and down the field by Georgia Southern. Um, can't get much worse. Let's make a change now. So they have decided to remove Scott Frost after four years and uh, three games, 16 and 31 record for him. Mickey Joseph takes over as the interim head coach. Um, we'll just we'll just start here. I guess you know it's been a couple days, but you know what was your initial reaction to Nebraska making the move when it did? Brandon, we'll start with you.
0: Yeah, I really didn't expect it to happen um on Sunday, the day immediately after that Georgia Southern game. I think I think that game removed <laughs> a lot of doubt for anybody who had a little bit of doubt uh still remaining going into that game. It the the tone totally shifted at that point and you had a pretty good feeling like, well, that's it. Uh this is this is how this ends, even if, you know, they waited until the October 1st date when the buyout dropped, which I think was still kind of the predominant thought. But effectively, it felt like things were over um, and Trev Alvarez decided things were over the, the next day. I think you do it because there's still nine games left. There's still a chance here for Nebraska to have a positive season. It'll be a much different scale than what it was three weeks ago when it kicked off. And I think having some real candidates to be not just an interim coach, you'll always get somebody right, but three people who really could do it. I could have seen Shenander getting that call. I could have seen Mark Whipple, former head coach, uh, getting that call. But I wasn't surprised it was Mickey Joseph, who has you know, been a head coach at the NAIA level before, but not at this level before. That said, he's still a 25-year 20, veteran in the game. So I think knowing they had that chance and seeing what Mickey Joseph has done in his time on campus, his ability to kind of relate to the players and the relationships he has, I think also made it, it wasn't an easy decision to make, but
1: it made it a little bit easier when you decided that's what you had to do. Aaron, were you also surprised by the timing of this?
2: Yeah, I think to provide some context, which I did talk a little bit about on the Mind Your Own podcast um, this week. But if people are kind of wondering about the timing and maybe thinking like, oh, you know, no one kind of knew what Trev was thinking, which is true. No one but Trev knows what he's thinking at any given moment. But I. when I was trying to plan my Sunday, I had been reaching out to people Saturday night just to be sure. Do I need to be worried about anything tomorrow? Do I need to, do I need to wake up on Sunday and basically stay put in my house thinking that there could be something? And multiple people that I spoke with, which to, to be clear, were not like random people. They're people with, within the athletic department who would be able to like sense Hey, things feel tense or whatever. Like, no, every like it, it nothing seemed off, I guess I should say. Like at that point. Not like, and I want to be clear on that, not that it didn't seem off because they hadn't just lost to Georgia Southern. I'm talking as far as like any kind of like whispers, rumblings that something might be coming, say the next day. So from other people that I spoke with outside of the program too, that were, you know, have different sources than mine. Same thing. Everyone was pretty, pretty much hearing the same consistent thing that there was no, I guess, indication for people that this was, this was happening when it was going to, and there have been others who have alluded to the fact that even Sunday morning, we all woke up and there was really no belief that this was, this was how Sunday was going to go. It was actually Damon Benning who made the kind of, he alluded more to the fact that the meeting between Trev and Scott didn't start as a firing press press conference. And, you know, maybe we'll eventually get more details on what was or wasn't and how that transpired. But again, we all obviously don't know what Trev was thinking until um, unless you somehow can give him true serum and get him to map out his timeline for you. So what my whole point with this is, is I think most people knew the writing was on the wall. They knew it was coming. That doesn't feel like it was a surprise to anyone. Who I talked to doesn't matter. That person, what was more shocking was the timing because of like, we've already addressed the buyout being October 1st and that, you know, moving from 15 million to seven and a half million. Also just maybe getting through, Oklahoma week waiting for the buy week if you're not going to wait for that buyout period you know maybe waiting until the bye week when everyone has a little bit more time to breathe and get kind of a you know handle on everything however Trev is a very calculated individual and that when I say that that means a lot to different people if you are a UNO fan that me using the word calculated brings back a lot of bad memories. You're starting to think about wrestling and football and everything else. But beside that, Trev is very calculated from a business perspective. He's not, he doesn't make decisions without really thinking everything through. So this is me totally projecting my own opinion on this, but this would make sense in the timing is I'm guessing Trev was thinking about, all right, if Nebraska is say to beat Oklahoma somehow, that changes things again very quickly where suddenly you, yes, you've lost to Georgia Southern. That wasn't what you wanted, but you've now somehow defeated Oklahoma. Your fan base is becoming more split and like split, like just becoming splintered once again over what should and should not happen with Frost. So I think there's pieces of this where Trev was thinking about all of these things. What happens if Nebraska beats Oklahoma, what happens if things change to some degree, knowing that it, it's not a true change. It's just, it always felt like a Scott Frost team could stumble into a big win. It just felt like that. So what if it was this week where they stumbled into that win, whether it was any kind of change actually was sincerely made or not. So I think, you know, Trev had to weigh all of these different things. Nebraska's obviously going to honor the full buyout. We understand that they didn't make any kind of, negotiation however what we don't know and we may never fully understand the full scope of it is did a booster or somebody with deep pockets help make that decision easier at this time frame you know there's a lot there's a lot of things that it seems like happened in the 12 hours that followed the press conference the time we got you know it was like what 12 13 hours but I I think it came as a surprise timing wise for people, but I can, I can understand why the timing changed and I can understand how Trev probably thought through every potential scenario and outcome to get himself to have to make that decision now.
1: So I had a, I had some, some people ask me after the Northwestern loss, Hey, I want to go to this Nebraska, Oklahoma game. Should I buy tickets now? And I was like, just, just wait, just wait a little bit. I think tickets might be able to come down a little bit. And they're like, really? Are you sure? It's Oklahoma. I was like, just, just wait. Just give it a couple weeks. Just wait. Um, I, I kind of had an inkling after the Northwestern game that this was going to be a possibility just because of the way that the schedule shook out. That if they struggled with North Dakota and Georgia Southern, which for a little bit against North Dakota, they, you know, it, it was back and forth trying to put them away for a little bit. And then obviously the loss to Georgia Southern, that this could be a a possibility ahead of the Oklahoma game because this Oklahoma game just represents so much to so many people within this athletic department and within this fan base, you don't want to get embarrassed, particularly on your home field. And with the way that this thing was just trending, it just looked like there was sort of this weight on the team weight on frost that was almost suffocating. Um, and like everybody talked about the the buyout, it's fifteen million now. If you wait until October first, it's going to be seven and a half million. You're going to save yourself, you know, seven million bucks. That's that's big. Why would you not, you know, just put up with it for three weeks so that you can save seven and a half million dollars? Um, to which I always thought, at no point in college football's history has there been more money in the system than there is now. And we have millions and millions of dollars getting thrown around for NIL recruitments at the high school ranks. Nebraska is not doing um, poorly in terms of NIL. Nebraska is not doing poorly in terms of fan engagement. Obviously, this team still had a a packed house for the Georgia Southern game. Um, if <laughs> if a booster finally decided that okay, I will give you this check, then you know it's not outside the realm of possibility. The other thing to consider is that Nebraska for years has been, I haven't looked at their filings in the last couple of years, but Nebraska has been a program that's operated responsibly from a financial standpoint. They don't have a ton of debt, if any. Um, and Trev has made sort of shrewd decisions since taking over. And then in two or three years time, you're going to get $100 million pumped into the athletic department from the Big Ten media deal. So like they're not struggling financially. So I don't think $7.5 million is going to be a make or break point if Trev looked at this and said, hey, we're one and two right now. If I get a new voice into the building, if I get a different voice, if I can remove some of this weight on, on the rest of the team, you know, we need to go five and three, right. Five and four down the rest of the season. I could, I could see us doing that. Am I, am I off base there?
2: No. And I think I just have to throw this out there, too. I think when you're talking about the financial piece of it, Nebraska not hurting, um, you know, obviously Nebraska is a big business. Nebraska is in a good spot, even, even after Bill Moose and the COVID years made things more difficult for Nebraska financially. Nebraska is also not like it is not like hurting for money. Now you still, at the same time as an athletic director, want to be very mindful of continuing that, making sure that it doesn't go and it doesn't trend in a direction you don't want it to. So kind of with the money piece of it, if you're Trev, yes, you're looking at seven and a half million dollars being a lot of money, but you're also needing to look at the sellouts and the butts and seats and the people buying tickets. You need to look at the sponsorship deals that might leave the stadium if they feel like the product that they're advertising around is not you know, warranting. Those advertising dollars, there is a lot more to it when you start to think about, all right, yes, I might be making a seven and a half million dollar decision right now that if I waited, you know, three weeks would be different, but could I be potentially losing donations, sponsorships? people just buying tickets and then you start to look at what that at like what that dollar value would add up to over time because if you lose a big sponsor and i'm not saying a sponsor was like trying to pull money i'm just saying if a sponsor ends up going you know i don't feel i got my roi on this year i'm not gonna i'm not going to advertise you know in the future and maybe not pick up the same advertising i've done um that's a huge that can be a big thing because it's harder it's harder to get people to return if they take their advertising dollars elsewhere. So like there's a lot of other financial pieces to this that Trev had to consider when he was thinking about that seven and a half million dollars in the long-term goal of what he's trying to accomplish right now.
1: Well, because you've got a lot of people that are committed to the program and investing money in the program that are looking and saying, okay, like what are you doing? That's justifying me continuing to invest in this program and be committed to this program. Are you doing the same thing? And this you know, it, it 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 sends a bunch of different messages, but one of those messages is that yeah, uh, you know, we're 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 gonna do what it takes to have a winning football program. Brandon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it simply enough for Nebraska's athletic
1: department,
0: uh, and this is rare. Um, is it has been in a good enough spot financially to pay Bill Moose his entire contract? They, there was no like attempt at remediation there. And it doesn't look like there's going to be for Frost either. So that kind of tells me everything I need to know, whether just like, I mean, do they want to have to pay more money than it could possibly be? No. But in those two specific cases, um, they just said, sure, it's like, that's the full price tag. And almost nobody in these instances ends up paying the full price. Um, But Nebraska, as far as we know, didn't even didn't even look at getting it knocked down a little bit. Um, and it's, it's crazy to think with this one in particular, you wait three weeks and it was already scheduled to be
1: knocked down. So. This is um, Fro- like frost's legacy with this program is, is super fascinating because this was a, I mean, a local guy, a local kid, who was a, a really highly touted high school player who leaves comes back wins a national championship for the program like we're talking about a national championship winning quarterback at Nebraska and he goes and kickstarts his coaching career at Oregon gets to UCF has a dream season at UCF when it when it when we talk about like slam dunk coaching hires like this was one of those in 2017 that felt like one of like the most slam dunky coaching hires that you could possibly have. And it obviously has not worked. But I'm very fascinated to see what his legacy looks like 20 years from now, how people in and around the program view Scott Frost as a character in Nebraska's football history, because there's been very high moments and there have been some very low moments. Um, And, you know, it's one of those things where... I saw a bunch of sentiment on social media this week that like, like if Mickey Joseph immediately turns this team around and they sort of fight for a bowl, get close to bowl eligibility or something like that, like that's, that's, that tells us all we needed to know that it was all entirely on frost. Like that's out there. Like people are like that thinking or guessing that this could just entirely be a frost problem. Um, and so to think about that in the context of like how this person is going to be viewed around Nebraska and around the football program, for the next 15, 20 years. Like, I think it's a, it's sort of a tragic discussion almost, but it's also just a super interesting discussion. Do you think that this is going to be one of those situations where he is remembered as a guy where it's like, man, we wanted it to work. It didn't work. That makes us sad. Or do you think it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, and you're always going to have some of these people, but the majority of people view it with maybe some animosity or maybe some, um, disgust at the situation? Like, how do you think that his sort of legacy with this program is going to evolve over the next 15, 20 years?
2: I personally think it's going to be a hybrid of both. I think there are going to be people who probably might feel both of those things at the same time. Um, The reality is, for better or worse, whatever the case was, Frost, who people thought he would be as a coach, did not pan out at Nebraska. I think that that makes people, I think that makes a lot of people sad because of the idea of what it was supposed to be and what kind of that hope when, you know, you come to the end of the 2017 2017 season and um, UCF has had this just outstanding season And it just kind of feels like you are, you are getting the coach that everyone wants. I mean, if Nebraska hadn't hired frost at that point, he would have gone somewhere, Florida, somewhere, you name it. Somebody was going to pick him up as a head coach. um, And, you know, you, you can kind of only like imagine what could have been in other alternate realities that don't exist. But um, I do think some people are probably going to be frustrated. I, I I mean, you hear the frustration already, for instance, Mickey Joseph said something that caught a lot of people's attention about when, when he was asked, what are you going to do to address the defense? What are you going to ad- do to address? Like, how are you going to fix that? And one of the pieces he said in that is we're going to tackle in practice. And, you know, Scott had said things prior to his departure where he talked about, you know, they were going to do more ones versus ones in the week leading up to Georgia Southern. They needed to do more tackling. Um, But then, of course, we, being in the media, don't see any of that. We have no point of reference over what was or wasn't happening. But to hear Mickey Joseph say is one of the things that he will do to fix the defense is they need to be tackling more in practice. That rightfully caught a lot of people's attention and then made them mad because, they were, you know, feeling kind of sad about things, but then it was like, wait, hold up a second. Was Nebraska not tackling in practice? Um, I don't, I don't think Nebraska wasn't tackling in practice. Like it's kind of one of those things where if you all go back and remember about the whole weightlifting the s- the thing. squat
1: situation. Yeah, this is the squat situation four years later.
2: But if, if say, over four years, Scott Frost was doing a certain type of tackling technique in practice because he was trying to rest, you know, it wasn't enough good on good type of stuff. If that was the adjustments weren't made to address those things. And, yeah, that absolutely falls on him. Um, but we it, it's going to be it, I think if Mickey Joseph sees some success this season like things kind of start to feel like it's trending in a more positive direction um i do think you'll find some fans who will be very frustrated by that not because of mickey they'll be happy with mickey but i think you'll find the frustration build where it's like why why was scott then not able to fix this and what was he doing and a lot of that ire will be turned right toward him what's not already turned toward him
0: yeah i think look to Frank Solich as the model for this. And the the key difference there is it was way... <laughs> Frank Solich had a way better case for keeping that job than, than Scott Frost did at this point, uh, that he no longer had it. But as that went on, um, I think you saw Husker fans take a lot of pride in the success that Frank Solich had at Ohio. And I think... I think scott frost is going to go on and have success as a coach somewhere it might be starting out as an offensive coordinator um if you go to alabama and and go go to nick nick saban's school for wayward coaches it seems like automatic that you just become better and and you go on and uh, get a different head coaching job and and you're good um so that might be the optimum outcome for for scott frost but like it, it's not going to shock me at all if whether it's as an assistant or as a head coach, eventually again, if he finds a spot and wins a bunch of games. And I think that sadness piece of it will always be there for Nebraska. Uh, but they'll also come around to taking some pride in him doing
1: well elsewhere, particularly if Nebraska is also doing well at the time. I saw somebody, I don't remember who tweeted it, but they tweeted the video of Scott Frost sort of jumping on the railing and sliding down the railing outside Memorial Stadium. So they tweeted that video and and the caption was Alabama's next offensive coordinator on his way to Tuscaloosa. And the thought that raced through my mind immediately was, oh my God, they're going to be so good. I kind of think that he's going to be a pretty darn good offensive coordinator when he doesn't have all the other responsibilities attached to it. I saw somebody else mention that maybe he's just the next Lane Kiffin who gets a head coaching job really early. Doesn't quite work out in that head coaching job for whatever reason. Kind of makes his way through the G5 ranks again and then gets another sort of um, big job and finds some success with it. I, You know, I t- could certainly be the scenario with, with Scott Frost if he gets an, a G5 job and sort of figures out how to work through some of the things that sort of derailed this this first opportunity and makes his way back. I could see it. Um, He could also be a pretty darn good coordinator. I think, Aaron, you had a very big reaction to the Lane Kiffin.
2: I think Lane Kiffin is a really unique example. And I think Lane Kiffin is successful because of his ability to, um, kind of set his own ego and pride aside. And I don't think like Lane Kiffin has like changed who he is necessarily, but he's made changes that have made him. And that's the question for Scott is, can he do that? Because I'm going to just throw this out there and this might seem really wild to both of you. And that's totally fine. I would also not be shocked if I never see Scott Frost coach again. That is also not a shocking possibility to me. Like I would almost not be shocked if he ends up, you know, choosing I I have a hard time believing that because oftentimes with people who are in these roles, the call to continue is almost too great. Not to, it's, it's what we've seen with so many coaches who try to get away from the the industry. And then they end up being like, I have to come back. But like the the thing that I will be curious about is for Scott to have, like, I, I think, I don't know if his path would ever be sort of, I think Scott is who he is. And that, you know, for better or worse, people loved him for that or didn't love him for that. And um, that I think that's the one fundamental thing that is mainly Lane Kiffin different is he has kind of um, been willing to look at who he is and make some changes that have helped him be more successful. Now he did go to the Nick Saban school of wayward coaches. So maybe that's all it takes is going there and Nick Saban gets you on the right path and you change your perspective. So maybe that's what it is. But I also think that Scott, you know, and I I say this very hesitantly because I don't want people to like, I don't think this is shocking to anyone. He is, you have to do a degree in this, this industry have a big ego. And so the question that I have is, can his ego be checked? And maybe it can be, I don't know. Like this is going to be something where it'll be interesting to watch his future trajectory because what he chooses or not chooses, uh, will tell us a lot about how he felt. Uh, you know, I will say like there are fans who are sad and disappointed that they haven't had a statement from him yet. They they're going, are we ever going to hear from him again? Why hasn't he released something saying thank you Husker nation for whatever. And it could be because he's really hurt. He he's probably hurt, set. man. But at the same time, like there's a PR as- aspect of it, which I get. So there's a lot of emotion and feeling and everything here. So I'm cu- I'm curious, and from a PR perspective, it will be interesting to watch the future of Scott Frost and to see what he what he chooses, what he doesn't choose. Does he want to be a coordinator anymore? Does he want to be an analyst? Is that is that something that like he's open to? These are conversations where um, I wish I had the answers for people, but I do think. I I actually think it'll be fairly split. Um, I do agree that people warmed to Frank Solange. I don't I don't think you're ever going to win some people back that are that are pretty burnt on Frost at this point. I don't know if you'll win some of those people back, but at the same time, time does heal and time does change people's memories and perspectives. Um, so maybe some people will soften their stances. But the one thing I have witnessed on social media over the last you know, few days is a very large division of responses to this. There's not a lot of in between. People are either really sad and think Trev made a really terrible decision and that everyone was out to get frost. you got that group. And then you have this other group that's like good riddance. And I haven't seen a lot in the middle right now. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to also watch. Long story short, this is a very unique one for me. Um, to kind of observe from a social perspective, because people have a lot of very strong feelings one way or the other. And it doesn't feel like a whole lot of people are kind of like in the middle on Frost at this point. And look, maybe that's how people felt about Frank knowledge at the time they were here or there. And so it changed a little bit. Um, but It's like I said, the whole thing is going to be really interesting to watch what Frost wants to do with his life and where his his ego maybe allows him or, you know, he allows himself to go. And then what people are willing to kind of like the grace or non-grace that they're willing to give. I don't know. There's just going to be a lot of um, it's going to be an interesting uh, trajectory to watch for both him and Nebraska fans. But my personal feeling is you're probably not going to see him walking he's not going to be hanging out in nebraska a whole lot going forward i just don't see it
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i mean like look like fabian washington tweeted get scott the f out of my program during the game um and you got some of that sentiment from players so like there's there seems to be some hurt on on both sides and i'm not i'm not shocked that we haven't heard anything from frost because he's probably hurt (laughs) like the the post georgia southern press conference was painful to watch he looks like he went through a presidential term like that's the what he looks like he went who
2: said that who are like he looks like if you take a photo of him day one versus yeah. a photo of him now to be fair for everyone I'm glasses just throw on the out, like, now
1: like that's like an old man move like he's wearing glasses on the football <laughs> sideline i'm like you aged 25 years in four years like i hope that he's able to just like take a year spend some time with the family figure out where he's going next. The word that you used, can I, willing.
2: Can I just point out really quick, the man is 47 years old also though. Like he is allowed to like, his vision is allowed to get bad. He's allowed to look a little bit older. That's <laughs> I mean... the one thing where I'm like, you know what, like we're, he's 47. That's not old by any means, but he shouldn't look like he's 25 anymore. And the one thing that was always funny to me is that people were like, oh, he looks like he could go out there and keeps, yeah, for sure. But uh, he's still not, he's still 47. So he's allowed to age at the same time. <laughs>
1: well and with that too i mean you talk about like contextually as a coach like that's still young he's still relatively young for a coach um and so like the like the word that you used willing that's going to be the big thing that sort of determines like what his trajectory is like what is he willing to do what is he willing to change what is he willing to compromise on um and then the other the other thing that i'll say before we move on is i think a lot of sort of how he's viewed is going to be influenced by what happens over the next three years with nebraska football like if this program continues to suck, and this program continues to just lose a bunch of games, it's going to be sort of the Mike Riley effect where people are just going to say it's his fault he set this program back so far. Um, which you know I could see it; it would be unfortunate, but I could see it. Let's hope,
2: talk. Sorry, I have to just say this to you really quick. I hope people don't do too much of that though, because. I think that that's so detrimental in the long run, because as we've seen with what Hilton has done at Georgia Southern, um, what other coaches have done at programs, you can reasonably turn a program around or at least get it on the right track within a year or two. So I think at some point that the argument, regardless of people's feelings about how things do or do not go, needs to end of blaming the previous staff. I think it's just like the least helpful thing. And it's really an easy argument, but I don't think it's often the most valid because admittedly, it was easy to point at Mike Riley's staff for what they did or did not do without then having to point at Scott Frost and his staff. So, whoever the next coach is, I hope there's a little bit of like just move on from the past and start looking at what this person has or has not been able to do.
1: Glad you brought up Clay Helton, huh. <laughs> the, the harbinger of pain for college football blue bloods. Um, he's the first. Power five head coach fired in college football a year ago at USC week two. And then he is responsible for the first power five head coaching head coach firing of, of 2022. Um, And there are two scenarios that I want to present to you guys and ask, which do you think is more likely for Nebraska? So Clay Helton gets fired at USC after, after week two. And everybody was like, well, They wanted to fire him. They'd been flirting with it for years and years. If you're going to fire him after week two, you should have fired him at the end of the season. USC season from that point on is just lost. It's just gone because the interim staff that's in place knows Dante Williams. In this instance, I'm not getting the head job. Like I'm, I'm here as a stopgap. I'm here to just kind of get us through the end of the season. I'm not getting the head coaching job. They're going big game hunting. They want to find someone. And ultimately what USC found was Lincoln Riley. And that's sort of the reason why they, at least they would say that you make a move that early in the season, because you know, this is not going to end well, you know, what you're going to ultimately decide. So you do it early and then you get yourself to the front of the line proverbially for who might come available for, you know, who that up and coming coach is, who that guy that takes that next step throughout the season, you are first in line and you can sort of, um, have a long runway, do all of your homework. USC ends up with Lincoln Riley. Another scenario that took place out on the West Coast as well at Washington State, where Nick Rolovich is fired and he dumpster fire of a year and a half with Washington State. Jake Dickert gets the job in an interim capacity and leads the team to a bowl game. They fought for him. They clearly like him. And then he has the interim tag removed at the end of the year and it turned into basically an audition for him and they decided that he was the best guy for the job. Now they could have probably hired other guys that would have also had success at Washington State, but they decided that this is our guy, we're going to give him a chance, we're going to roll with him. And in week 2, he beats a ranked Wisconsin team in Madison, which is not an easy place to go win. And, you know, they did it in a way that showed a lot of stuff about about the sort of the way that that team has gelled as a team. My question to you guys, Is Do you think Nebraska will operate more like USC, wherein they go sort of big game hunting and they try to find somebody that can come in and immediately re-energize this program? And Mickey Joseph is here as an interim. He's here for however many weeks he's here, and then they find the next leader of Nebraska football. Or do you think that this potentially is a situation like Washington State, where there could be other good candidates, but Mickey Joseph gets an audition. They like what they see. And ultimately he has a realistic shot at getting this job. Brandon, we'll start with you.
0: Uh, It's USC for me and it's not
1: close. Um, The Washington
0: state thing, (laughs) given how and why Nick Rolovich was out there, um, it happened a little bit later in the season. And also, you know, it's, it's Washington state. Washington state isn't calling Lincoln Riley after it loses to Oklahoma state and getting him USC could and did. And I think that's the difference. Um, for me, you know, this is just my amateur read, but when Trav Alberts was asked about Mickey Joseph on Sunday, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I would love nothing more than for him to put him in to to like win and put himself make himself a candidate for this job which to me only said maybe he's not a candidate right now and I think that's fair I think that makes sense there seem to be a good faction of the fan base that's all in on Mickey right now and wants to see him be the head coach and he's got the opportunity to to get into that conversation you look at where this program has been not just under frost but you know really for the past decade almost since joining the big 10 um and i think you have to do everything you can to talk to as many people i mean that's the other piece of why I do this now is you get to take the usc approach you get two and a half months to do this um and you got to make the most of it i mean Mickey Joseph was also at LSU when Ed Ogeron basically won his way into keeping that job. They fired Les Miles Ed Ogeron's the interim LSU expects to go out there on, you know, a national search and probably did all of the work for that. And at the end of the day, like they ended up hiring Ed Ogeron and got a national title out of it, but then things quickly fell apart too. So it's it's so tough in coaching searches, coaching hires, like literally almost anything is possible. But I would expect Nebraska. I'd be much I'd, I'd be very surprised if they weren't more USC in that instance than Washington
1: State. So USC was able to, like you said, was able to call Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, who had gone to a billion college football playoffs and lost by a billion points in those college football playoffs, but still gone to them. <laughs> And say, "Hey, we want you to come be our coach." And Lincoln Riley was like, "Oh crap, okay, well, I have to think about this." Um, USC has a lot of advantages that Nebraska doesn't have. Does Nebraska still have the power as a college football blue blood to call, which it still is, to call a coach? Maybe not like quite at the Lincoln Riley level, but call a big name and and still like have the. I guess the cachet to get its foot in the door. Cause like, I'm looking at the list of names that ESPN's Pete Thamel put out shortly after Scott was fired and Matt Campbell, Mark Stoops, Dave Aranda, Bill O'Brien, Lance Leopold, Dave Doran. Like, these are like, like good coaches that have been good at their programs, but not like mega names. Like we saw move around this past cycle. Maybe you think Mark Stoops is a big name. Um, But like, does Nebraska still have the, the cachet to just go say, Hey, you know, this is Nebraska. We're going to call somebody big.
2: I think Nebraska has the money to do that. Um, I think Nebraska financially can go through everything and the kitchen sink at somebody. Now that has turned itself into where a lot of people were like, then you have to go after Urban Meyer, which is its own separate like discussion point of which I, we don't need to get into here. Um, but I would say when you look at what Trev is looking for and how he has sort of laid out the- oh, Hold on. Why-
1: why is there a fascination with Urban Meyer?
2: Because I mean, he won at the collegiate level and apparently Jacksonville and everything else that came out around him is like at this point. The, the reason I don't want to get into we've just
1: it. At, we've just looked at Urban Meyer have issues at Florida that we found out about after the fact. Issues at Ohio State that we found out after the fact. And then just flames out horribly at Jacksonville. Like, we yeah. need to stop talking about our argument. The
2: argument has to... been that, yeah, he might have an unsavory background and skeletons in his closet, but so did Nebraska in the 1990s. Just look at Tom Osborne, to which I would say, like, I don't know if, if we're trying to move this program forward. We should be looking at uh, the 90s any longer. I think Trev was very clear. This needs to be a situation that moves forward. You need to look into the future. So I think when you think about what Trev is going be looking for, he's looking for someone that has a certain level of character uh, that has proven themselves wherever that might be, whether it's at Iowa State, Kansas, wherever. Um, But I think there's also a layer, which he didn't say this, I just think that like you're looking for somebody who might stick around a while and like, that's the ultimate goal is to not continue to run through coaches every few years. And even aside from your, anyone's opinions, and I don't mean your, I'm just saying in general, people's feelings about urban Meyer, how many years does he really have left sincerely as a coach? So when you're thinking about who am I investing in as Trev Alberts, that's likely on his radar as well Is like, how much time does somebody realistically still have left that they would be interested in coaching. And, um, that's what I think makes the Matt Campbell's and the Matt rules and the Lance's interesting is they have shown success. And like in the case of Lance at Kansas, like people are familiar with him and it's not like he's just seen a little bit of success at Kansas, but former UNO football players, the uh, fun program that got cut by Trev Alberts, uh, uh, just had to throw that back out there before somebody points it out for me. Um, but I I am married to a former UNO football player who was like, I would come back and use my remaining eligibility to play for Lance. <laughs> like, they, he's he's got a lot of fans. People really like him. They think he's a great coach. Um, so I think that there's a layer of looking for somebody who, you know, like I said, meets the character that you're looking for, has proven themselves, either at their current program or over their career, um, but also come with a list of, you know, just that hey, I I would play for this guy. I would play for this person. I think there's a lot of kind of pieces that Trev is considering, and those are big. And then again, the time frame that they might be looking at. Like, is this somebody who you could hire? And hopefully you're not talking about a new coach in four years.
0: My yeah, i first... be surprised. Sorry, I'd be surprised if Nebraska could get a Lincoln Riley or even a Brian Kelly. But I think it's like the tier below that could could nebraska get mike gundy if it wanted him and i'm not saying that they do or i'm not reporting that he is a candidate but i'm just saying i think that's the breaking what gundy's a guy who uh you know has looked around quite often and always has ended up staying in still water i think his resume when you dig into it is better even than it may look on paper um in terms of the football piece of things. So that's the level where I could see Nebraska like plucking a
1: current P5 head coach. But lincoln Riley level, probably not. Mike Gundy just got a $2 million raise just because his name was said on this podcast. That's great.
0: Great. I'm <laughs>
1: happy to do it. That's what has happened with Mike Gundy over his time. Um, my first call is to Dave Miranda Tell me what you want. Tell me what I got to make happen. Let's make this work. And if Dave Aranda is, is, wants to stay at Baylor or wants to wait for a bigger job, you know, bigger, I don't know how much bigger it gets, but wants to wait for a bigger job, then I'm calling Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, calling Adrian Martinez as head coach. <laughs> Ask Adrian for his number.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Why not? Yeah. Hey. Is there is there a name that has been tossed around that um, – that you feel strongly about brandon like 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 with me it's dave aranda like he feels like a a great kind of guy to to target is there a name that has been thrown out there that you're like yep that's the one
0: yeah it's still early um but i think i think the best possible hire nebraska could feasibly make might be chris peterson if you could get him to come back to football and there's some danger with that of you know he walked away for the from the game from some pretty public personal reasons. You know, nothing was wrong. It was just like it was burnout, effectively. So you worry about that. But his track record through 14 seasons at Boise State in Washington is pretty unassailable. Um, I'm also I should also note now that I am very anti-fit um not that it doesn't matter but i don't care about it until like the very very end like if you're an ad interviewing somebody you're like oh man this is just the wrong fit okay fine but i'm not starting out by saying oh he's been on the west coast can he do this in the big 10 i mean watch go back and watch how washington played it was it was very very big 10 um as far as current head coaches i think climbing is pretty high on my list. I think Campbell's got to be in that discussion, and if Nebraska's still not getting the answers it's it wants there, um, and you're back in the G5 riser route. Uh, the longer I look at Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, the more interested I become.
1: Yeah, he's another name. Um, people keep talking about Mark Stoops at Kentucky, and I'm I'll, I'll be it's going to be an interesting couple of years for Mark Stoops because he's. He's gotten that program to a pretty pretty good level, um, especially for Kentucky football. Like He's like made John Calipari uncomfortable with the amount of success that he's had with Kentucky football. Um, does he want a big job? Like, Do you want it? Like you get to that point, and I would probably put Dave Doran in this category as well. You get to that point with a program that hasn't quite experienced before what you are letting it experience now. And there's a sense of like I can continue to do this for the next five, six, seven years, and be fine and be liked for it, or I can try to make this jump to a um, more high-profile spot and potentially fail and potentially be hated for it. So, like, people keep talking about Mark Stoops for these big jobs. I, you know, he might just decide to stay at Kentucky. So,
2: the other name he makes that six like and I'm a half... oh, go ahead, Erin. No. You both.
0: (laughs) He makes six and a half million dollars coaching football at, quote unquote, a basketball school. And he's got it running like it's it's one of the plushest gigs I think you can find um, with how it's going for him currently. And is Nebraska is Nebraska going to pay seven million to Mark Stoops? I mean, it's a big price tag.
2: The one name I was going to bring up to both of you that I think that is worth um, another consideration and is is particularly interesting because I do want to just point out, Brandon, you're right. I I, I want to just say with like fit, like I, I don't like I think that when it comes to fit, like you're talking specifically just about like if their game style fits like, quote unquote, like Nebraska, because I don't think Nebraska has like a like the Big Ten has a style. But I think like at this point, like anything of what Nebraska was or wasn't people need to just throw that out the window it's it's about Nebraska being Nebraska in the big ten which Nebraska has not figured out to this point so for me I agree if you're that's what but I think from a fit perspective as far as like character I do think that that's probably pretty high in Trev's world even in the beginning stages like I don't think he'll go through an interview with somebody that he sincerely does not think would be a good fit as far as like character is concerned um which, I think is what's making this whole thing really interesting with like Urban Meyer being on Nebraska's campus this weekend for Fox because everyone's like, ah, you better at least take a meeting. And he might, like, I don't think he would like, but I just don't know if he would see something through if he knew somebody's character didn't match what he was looking for. But that's, I digress. My question was going to be about Bill O'Brien. And if you think he's sincerely a candidate for Nebraska. We are saying names that none of these mean anything, by the way, to everyone. No one knows anything, but Bill O'Brien has come up quite a bit.
0: I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. I just, yeah. Just to be completely honest, like you've got the two Penn state years, you go to the NFL, fine. Good. Like that Penn state situation was tough. And the record, given the context looks pretty good. I went back this week and looked at those, you know, looked at my nerd stuff um, and didn't come away with a, a great feeling on on
1: Bill O'Brien. Thank my, you.
2: Thank my you. I, it's thing not.
1: Was... It's, I mean, like, I know it's it's not you know, you, you shouldn't base your entire sort of um, belief structure off of it. But like the Alabama fan base does not want him to be their offensive coordinator anymore. Like, that's – that. like, you have to consider that. And some offensive coordinator for teams is, like, one of them – you know, that, that person is going to be hated more often than not. But, like, they don't want him to be their offensive coordinator anymore. And and my brother actually asked me this. He was like, would Bill O'Brien get a look? And I was like, I mean, has he had success? Like, has he had big success? And he was like, well, he had good years at Penn State. And I was like, did he, though? Did he, though? Like, I, like understanding the context of the Penn State teams, were they – Great years were they? Okay years, and I also you really want to go into a situation where you're like, "Yeah, this coach had okay years at a Big Ten school." That's who we're going with.
2: I think my hesitation with Bill O'Brien, more than anything else, too, is like when I just I would be contradicting myself when I'm talking about like looking for somebody who could be like a potential long term candidate, knowing that nothing is ever guaranteed. But the one thing I will say about Bill O'Brien, which is maybe not fair, um, but it feels this way to me, is that he's always kind of looking at what's next. Um, for him, he's always kind of looking at like, what's the next best option. And, um, there was actually a report that just came out within the last day where sports Illustrated's Albert Breer was kind of offering more on why the new England Patriots did not choose to bring Bill O'Brien back, or at least make that option to him to come back and coach with them, having been a part of the program before. And, and, um, or excuse me, not come back now. I'm all out of sorts. So I'm looking at his, so he was with the Patriots, but then he leaves. And so the question was always like, why didn't Bill Belichick bring him back? Sorry, my whole brain is like out of sorts this week. So the question was, why did that offense get handed over? Why didn't Bill O'Brien get it? And it was really because Belichick started to think he's not going to stay. He's looking at what the next step is for him. He's looking at what's next in line. And that's kind of the interesting part for me where like i think he's always kind of been a like he he likes he likes his jobs. He likes where he's at, but like he's maybe looking at what's next and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at his trajectory of, you know, he spent a few years with the Patriots, he kind of moved around different position groups. there. Um, spent one year as the offensive coordinator, but then at that point goes to Penn state. But after two years at Penn state, at least for the Houston, Texas, now he was the Houston Texans. Now he's there for six years, but now he's at Alabama. And some of these choices are his, some of them are not, but it's just like, you look at his coaching trajectory and like, this is somebody who I, I think he's going to always maybe move around a lot in their career. And I don't mean that to be like a negative thing toward him. I really don't. I don't mean to be like, Hey, don't bump, move around if you're not happy or if you get fired, whatever, that's not your fault. Um, well, it is, but I'm saying like you didn't necessarily make that choice, but I guess my whole point is I can't say if you're Trev and you're trying to find somebody who might be a good long-term fit. I don't know if that's Bill O'Brien. I think he would probably be looking at some point of where does he go next? Does he go back to the NFL? Yada, yada. I don't know if any of that made sense because my brain is all out of sorts. And I just read that article that came out and it was about the timing of his OC career with the Patriots and not coming back. And yeah, it doesn't matter. And then I had to remember that Bill Belichick is not at the New England Patriots anymore, which is still strange to me. So no. Just ignore me. My point is, I think he would – I don't think he's a long-term – I don't think you're hiring him to be with you for a long-term period is essentially what I'm saying.
1: I'm glad that we're all in agreement that it should not be Bill O'Brien. For, <laughs> for various reasons, we're all in agreement that it should not be Bill O'Brien.
2: Somebody's listening and they're like, got it, not Bill O'Brien. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, let's close on this, just real quick. Does Nebraska win this weekend?
2: I don't think so. Okay. Um. With that said, I don't want it to come across like I don't think Nebraska I, – I don't think Nebraska is going to get pummeled, if that's maybe how I would say it. I think Casey Thompson and the offense – the offensive line still makes me exceptionally nervous, but I still think Casey Thompson has enough playmakers where they can – the offense can move the ball a bit. Um, the defense makes me particularly nervous. <laughs> um but I, I don't think they're going to get smoked. I just would. I just don't know if I see a win.
0: How about this? If Oklahoma turns it over three times, Nebraska wins. Oklahoma has not turned it over yet this season. I don't know what to make of Oklahoma at this point. So, you know, they, they beat UTEP. They beat Kent State. Defense looks pretty good. Offense, it's hard to tell because they've only had the ball for 44 minutes out of 120 so far this season, Dylan Gabriel's been impressive. O-line, eh, not exactly uh, vintage vintage Oklahoma at this point yet. And I, I really don't think you can overvalue what it means not to carry around the weight of everything that's happened over the last 47 games of the one-score record of this year knowing Every time you lose, you might have a new head coach the following day, which is what happened this time. Like Nebraska really has a chance to just go play for the first time since maybe early in 2017, when it was clear that maybe the Mike Riley era was headed towards this sort of end. So it wouldn't shock me if, if Nebraska were able to get it done. I mean, it was a much longer shot for Nebraska to play Oklahoma as close as it did a year ago in my mind than it would be for them to win at home
1: on Saturday. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we see all throughout sort of all levels of sports, the that, that first week post-coach firing kind of boom that happens with a team where, be it, the team didn't like the coach and now they can play free or the team just had a ton of pressure on them. And now they can play free or the team is like, you know, we want to win one for coach and now they can go play free. Like they're like, we see it for a bunch of different reasons. So, you know, we'll see it. One thing that's been super interesting, just a little nugget. Um, and I think, I think you guys might appreciate this because we talk often, especially Brandon, you and I do about PFFs numbers, pro football Focus's numbers. Casey Thompson has one of the best grades so far through through three games, um, for Pro Football Focus, he's got a ninety point six offensive grade um, as a quarterback, which is the eighth best among Power Five quarterbacks, and he has a sixty five point four QBR, which is ESPN's QBR metric. And I don't see a ton of like massive variance like that between those two numbers. And when I do, it's always really interesting. He's behind Graham Mertz and Ryan Holinski in QBR. And uh in PFF's scoring, he's ahead of Drake May at North Carolina, which is uh just very interesting. Casey Thompson's had a pretty interesting start to his Nebraska career. So we'll see if he can if he can have a sort of a highlight moment against Oklahoma. I've had you guys for long enough. You've got work that you probably have to do, so I'll let you get on with it. Unless you got one more thing you want to say. Wait. I
0: have one more I have one more nugget. Uh Derek just uh to Stitch this all together. So you gave us the USC Washington State um, question earlier. We're going
2: back to Bill O'Brien. Who, who
0: did who did USC play in its first game under Dante Williams interim head coach? Washington State rolled them. So I remember that specifically because I took Washington State pretty confidently in that game. Um, so there you go. If if you're looking for a reason, Nebraska can beat Oklahoma. You just you you ride the you ride the new blood momentum the way USC did last year in its first game without Clay Helton. I mean, set I wanted... the stage for Nebraska to coach its first game without Scott Frost.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just want to say I I would not while I may not necessarily feel like Nebraska is beating Oklahoma, that's not to say I would be surprised if Nebraska does. That's like the one thing that I will also throw out there is if Nebraska beats Oklahoma on Saturday, I would not walk away like shocked by that information. Um, I've been saying for a long time and I still mean this. This team has a lot of talent on it. This talent was recruited highly by more than just Nebraska. There's a lot of players on this roster that were wanted by other power five programs. And so for me, it's frustrating where it's like, why is this talent not performing to the level that it should be? So if Mickey Joseph can bring that talent into a bit more harmony and getting it, you know, all like all everything firing on like all cylinders firing correctly, then I would not be shocked. I I just think it's a, it's a very heavy week to make a lot of changes quickly. Um, But you just, you really don't know. And that's the beauty of sports is you don't know, honestly, the, the wilder wilder has happened. So again, while I may not be calling for it, if it happens and somebody came back and said, Aaron, you were wrong. I will take that. I, I will take that on the chin and go, you're right. Because I wouldn't actually be all that surprised.
1: What we've seen for more than a more than a dozen consecutive games now, Nebraska has been uh, a team that is just almost impossible to like pick. Like you just don't know. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Um, I, one one last thing that I do have to say before I close out this podcast because it's Oklahoma Week. Um, Oklahoma has a player on its roster with the greatest name in the history of college football: General Booty. General Booty. All I
2: know about General Booty is that he is related to John David Booty, who was a part of USC, not to bring it all back to USC, but USC, all I remember is when Nebraska played them, 2007, the wheels were coming off of the Callahan bus era at that point. Um, But there were so many t-shirts in Memorial Stadium that that day that said, beat the booty off of SC.
0: (laughs) What if Nebraska plucks Lincoln Riley from USC?
1: I saw some people talking about this and I thought it was very very funny.
0: I, I mean we've just talked about USC so much on this podcast that I think I think now it's probably more likely to happen than not.
1: Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> who would be the USC like the Lincoln Riley equivalent this cycle? Like who would be that coach that's just like screw it. James Franklin He's not at the level of, like, name recognition.
0: God. I need to see the rest of the season. It might be Mel Tucker. Like, if Michigan State keeps going the way they've looked through two games, it might be him, the guy who just got the sweetest of sweetheart deals to be at Michigan State and be like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll go do this at Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah
1: it's it's it's
0: it's tough to tough to even come up with a with an analog
1: for that yeah i mean you go through the top 25 and most of them are coaches that are brand new or coaches that are not moving maybe jimbo fisher maybe maybe we go down to texas that's that's your return to texas nebraska that's that's your your way back into texas is jimbo fisher that would be terrible
2: there's so many names out there that i just have to say like when you when you ask that question of who is the who is this season's lincoln riley i'm honestly like lincoln riley (laughs) (laughs) so there you go nebraska go get him he's only spent one year at usc bring him to nebraska all
1: right you guys probably have to go so i'll let you get on with it thank you so much for coming on the podcast it was great to talk to you Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another one. In the meantime, keep reading hellvarsity.com. Listen to the I80 Preview Podcast. Listen to the Mind Your Own Podcast. Shouts to Brandon and Aaron for being on this episode this week. Shouts to you guys for listening to this show every week and to Cam for producing this episode every week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. A Hood Media
0: Production.